good to see you this morning, and good to see you and be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, as some of you know, we're doing a series that we've been doing most of it, the Hollywood Assembly. But because I didn't make the progress I wanted to yesterday, I, I, rather than have an independent message this morning, I'm going to cons- uh, continue the series this morning. But rather than try to reteach it to update you, I'll just make a very short review, and you can get it on the media, however they're publishing it, if you want to hear the whole series. But what I'd like you to do, first of all, to have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, I know you won't have a copy of it, many of you, unless you've been going over to Hollywood, but we've also been given an, an outline sheet to help follow what we're learning if I could just read a couple of things off the outline sheet to update you where we're at. As you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. It's been announced our general subject is the gospel dynamics of New Testament church practices. We're looking at the New Testament church and what it should do, what its practices should be. But as we're looking at it, we're looking at the why behind it, and we're discovering that when Paul teaches it and other scriptures come into play, that the things that happen in the New Testament church are actually connected with the gospel that saved us. It's not foreign to the gospel. The gospel is the power, the testimony, the reason. So that what you see happening is not something just separate from the gospel and the churches over here. It's the expression of the very gospel that brings us center to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in touching on that, thank you, brother. In touching on that, we've, we had seven practices uh, found in 1 Corinthians in one form or another, and we've actually covered four of them. We're going to cover the fifth one this morning and the final two tonight. We've covered the uh, subject of glory. And uh, when man gets to glory instead of God, there's a problem. But he connected it with the gospel, why God should get to glory. We discovered the subject of holiness. And when he wants to show there should be holiness and separation from sin in the assembly and those uh, continuing in sin that name the name of Christ, uh, it has to do with the gospel because Christ is our Passover. And then we looked at the headship, which you'll be studying in more detail on Wednesday night. And we saw that when you come to headship, you say, well, the head of man is uh, uh, Christ and the head of the woman is the man, but the head of Christ is God. And we learned how that, that is our whole gospel, that Christ submitted himself and went to the cross. The power of submission. And and then we looked at the main focus of the house of God, the Lord's Supper. It's not our own supper. It's not for our social needs. It's to show forth His death. And it's a reenactment of the gospel. So that whatever the church does, it's connected to the gospel. Now, on the outline sheet, it's the last I'll refer to it, but what we're going to cover this morning, Lord willing, is the government of the house of God. Wherever you have people, you need government. You say, well, government, that certainly has nothing to do with the gospel. Well, we'll see. We're going to see that God has a one man over his people. So we're going to look at the government of the house of God. And uh, having said that, that's why I have you open to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What I'd like to show you first is the connection of the believers here, who they're connected to in the church. So you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes our brother unto the church of God which is at Corinth 
to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, uh, both theirs and ours. Lord does bless the reading of his word. We'll be reading more later. Now, when it comes to the church of God, not written to Israel, not a gospel tract to the unsaved, but a letter of instruction to the church of God, the born-again family that assembles together, and they happen to meet at Corinth here, I want you to notice the connection here to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in chapter 1, Jesus will be given the title Lord seven times. I see some of you are getting outline sheets. Seven times. And it will show the connection, the direct connection of the assembly to the living Lord Jesus Christ. We already saw it in verse 1. The church and others called upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so there's a calling on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. You'll see the, the family of God is referred to as brethren here, and they're connected directly with the living Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, you're going to find a phenomenon. And that is, not to say they don't exist, but you'll never see elders mentioned. You'll never see deacons mentioned. You'll never see leaders mentioned. You'll never see a hierarchy mentioned in 1 Corinthians. What you will see is a direct linkage, a direct connection between the church, the believers, and the living Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's absolutely fundamental. Now, I already showed it to you in verse 1, but look now at verse, uh, verse 2, but now look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So where did your grace come from? And where did your peace, that you have peace with God? You say, well, that came from the Lord Jesus, not some hierarchy. You're absolutely right. The connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look, if you would, at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 7. So that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that the grace comes from Him, we call upon His name, and our hope is He's coming back, okay, for us and then with us. But that's not all. You look at verse 9. God is faithful, or I should say verse 8, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're moving toward that day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you look at verse 9. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And what is unique about the Christian faith and the Christian church is that we're called into a fellowship not just of conservative politics. Many people are called into that. Not just of Judeo values and family values. There's others that practice that too. But uniquely, we're in a fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We acknowledge His Lord. We've become called to this person that the world has rejected and crucified. And so the, th the thing that makes the Christian church different from other religions is the connection with Jesus Christ our Lord. And then look at it for the sixth time here in verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. We mentioned yesterday this is more than just unity, you know, just getting along. It's unanimity, saying the same thing. And it's not by going by some dynamic leader that he'll tell you what to think. No, no. It's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. His authority, His wisdom, that we submit to that, and we'll have some measure of unanimity, okay? And so it's in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's six times in these early verses the Lord Jesus has been brought before us as Lord. The direct connection to His church. 
There's one more time in this chapter, if you look at verse 31, the seventh time. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 31. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And so we start to see that you'll, you won't see elders here or deacons, not to say they don't exist. You won't see a leadership hierarchy. You will see a connection of the Christian assembly with its living Lord. Now, I just want to take you on a very quick scan. just want to run you quickly through 1 Corinthians and show you that is a consistent thing. So if you go to chapter 2 for a minute, go to chapter 2 for a minute, how do you know the things of God? Yeah. What school is going to teach them to you? Well, look what it says here in verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Because you have the Spirit of God, He's going to reveal these things to you. In fact, the chapter closes in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that the believers, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have new life within us. And so we can know the things of God. They're supernaturally revealed through the written Word. And so you start to see this connection with the church and its living Lord. You go to chapter 3 for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. A lot of verses could be read, but I'll take you down to the last one, verse 23. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 23. And ye are Christ, and Christ is God. It's not that you belong to some type of a church. You are Christ. You belong to Him if you're saved. And then you go to chapter 4. You'll see a connection as Paul described his ministry and others. You look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We're not just servants of some church. We're ministers of Christ. The direct connection to the living Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, taking this quick scan, you go to chapter 5 and look at the authority of why we gather. What authority do we have to say we're a group of Christians assembling for God? Well, here's our authority in chapter 5 and verse 4. Chapter 5 and verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we come in His authority, in His name. Not, not some leader's name. Not some doctrine's name. We come in the name of our Lord Jesus and we function by His power. Starting to see something here, aren't you? The direct linkage of the church to the living Christ. Continues on here if you go to chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look, for example, at verse 17. Verse 17 of chapter 6. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So we're joined, We're not joined to a church, we're joined to a Lord. We're not joined to a person, we're joined to the Lord, and therefore we're one spirit. You go to chapter 7. It even goes into a marriage relationship. What controls your marriage relationship if you're married? Huh? What controls it? The culture? Your feelings? Well, it should be the Lord. For example, you look at verse 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord... Let not the wife depart from her husband, etc. So it's the Lord's authority that even governs the social things in the Christian's life. And then you go to chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And look at this verse here in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 12. 
But when ye sin so against the brethren, ye wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. And so you stumble a fellow brethren with your liberty, and you wound his conscience and cause him to be grieved and sin. You just didn't sin against him. You sinned against Christ. Because we're joined together. We're one, the church is. It's a direct linkage to the living Christ. So you just didn't hurt him. You hurt Christ. You see that linkage here. Look at chapter 9. And just break it in here at verse 21. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 21. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. And so he says, while I might not be under that Jewish Mosaic law, I am under the law of Christ. He's going to use that to win others. And so there's this connection. While I might not be under Moses' law, I am connected to Christ under his authority, and he, that was involved in his decision-making. Then you go to chapter 10. We'll go down to verse 16. Chapter 10 and verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion or fellowship of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion or fellowship of the body of Christ? And so our fellowship is just not over sports, you know. Uh, uh, that probably don't matter to you down here, but, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, but that's a different story. But uh, it, it's just not over. Those. Our fellowship is Christ. That, that, it's the body and blood. That, that's what is the glue. To, we agree on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our communion. It's our fellowship. You start to see the whole thing in this church epistle is the link of believers to the living Lord. And then you go to chapter 11. You know this well. I'll just look at verse 26, for example. We just did it this morning, the Lord's Supper. You look at verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. You show the Lord's death. And so it's all about the Lord, this connection, what you do, who you're under, what governs you, your grace, your peace. Everything is the direct connection of the church that's viewed here to the living Lord Jesus Christ. And then go to chapter 12, and you'll see something else. Chapter 12 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, so one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. And so we're equally the same in the body of Christ. We, every believer has the Spirit of Christ. Every believer is in Christ. Every believer is connected to the living head, uh, just like your body. It's not independent from your head, is it? <laughs> so that Christ is the head and we are the body. You can't get more of a union than that, all right? That, that union of one, the body of Christ here. And then chapter 13, he speaks of love, and then you go into chapter 14, if you will, and go down to verse 37. Chapter 14 and verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. And so the Lord just doesn't tell you how to get saved. He has commandments for you in the church. He's the authority. And then in chapter 15, a whole lot of verses, but just go down to verse 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That your whole future and resurrection doesn't depend on what you're linked to here, that you're in Christ. If you're in Adam, you're going to die. I don't care what church you're in, what you're doing. If you're in your natural state, you're going to die. But if you've been born again and you're in Christ, you're going to live because He lives. It goes on to teach that. You start to see that everything we have, everything we are, is linked to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, as the epistle closes in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and look at verse 23. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. From the beginning to the end, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. You start to see that the government of God's assembly is with the living Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one man over it. Now, having said that, you might say, but He died on a cross. He is my Savior. He shed His blood, but He died. He did die. But the Gospel says more than that. We're right here in 1 Corinthians. So look at chapter 15. I know you know it well, but look at 1 Corinthians 15 at this Gospel. How can He be my all in all? How can He be Lord? How can He be the head of the church? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which ye also received, wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. You know, every believer says, Amen. My sins are paid for. We sang it in the breaking of bread. Jesus paid it all, huh? Died for our sins, took my place, bore my punishment. First Peter two twenty four. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, bearing our sins. Uh, our, our iniquity was laid upon him. Isaiah fifty three six and so on. Christ died for our sins, but that's not all the gospel. You look at verse uh, 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 three again. That he was bar- according to the scriptures, verse four, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. He was resurrected. And so, as resurrection, we're going to see He was declared to be Lord. He just didn't stay dead. He rose again, and He was marked out to be Lord, as Acts 2.36 says. In light of His resurrection, it was God making a statement. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so the resurrection of Christ has brought Him into living authority, living exaltation. We're going to look at that a little more in a minute. That it's the resurrection of Christ that makes Him everything to the church. So we talk about church government. He's the head. He's the Lord. That's connected with the gospel. He got there by resurrection. Now, resurrection is the reason we live for Him because He's a living Lord. Look at it again in 2 Corinthians 5, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Must ask how he how did he get to be the head of the church? Well, here's how. Here's how he got to be that one man over the church that is the direct link to the believers. You look at Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, we'll break in here at verse fifteen. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse fifteen. And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 
Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, at one time, people knew Jesus after the flesh. They, they could touch Him. Those that lived in His days, they saw Him. They knew the earthly Jesus. But Paul is saying here, we don't know Him that way anymore. I never saw Him. I never touched Him. We don't know Him that way anymore. Uh, because if we're in Christ, uh, we're a new creation. So we know Him now as the head of the church. He died that we should live unto Him who rose again. And in that living reality, He's become head of a body called the new creation. And that's what we are in Christ. I want to show you a little more on that. This new creation, that He's just not some master, and I'm His disciple, and, he's, and I'm following Him like Peter and James and that, and He's just going to teach me things. But now He's the head of the exalted head of the church. I'm incorporated with every other believer as the body connected to this living, glorious head with all wisdom and so on. And uh, this is this new creation if I'm in Christ. Now, let, let's look a little more on that if you go to Ephesians chapter 1. You start to see now it's going to connect the resurrection with His authority over the church as the head. This is God's church government connected to the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1, please. I'm going to break in here at verse 19, written to the church here, Ephesians 1 and verse 19. It says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power? Now here's how He accomplished that mighty power, verse 20. Which He wrought in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead. I just want to stop there. He raised Him from the dead. He lives again. He's overcome that great terminator of death. God raised him from the dead. But that resurrection also was an exaltation. He ascended into heaven. You know what he did when he got to heaven? Just didn't walk around, you know, shaking angels' hands and that. It says in Hebrews 1.3, When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He entered a position of exaltation. You see, the right hand of God is the highest position of authority God can give somebody in His kingdom. It's what the Oval Office is to an American. Highest position of authority. When you sit on the right hand of God, you're in the highest position in God's whole universe that God can give somebody. And that's where the Lord Jesus sat down, on the right hand of God. We don't know Him after the flesh anymore. We're going to see in a minute how we know Him. If I could use our current president as an example. He wasn't always president. Uh, he, but now you know him as president because he's entered into that exaltation. That's what the Lord Jesus did when he rose again and ascended and sat on the right hand of God. He entered into a new office called the head of the church. Let's see, let's see how high and authoritative that is. So let's reread verse 20. Verse 20, Ephesians 1. When he wrought, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. He's at his own right hand, that highest position of authority God can give somebody. Now, how high is that, do you say? Well, it tells you, verse 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Any might and dominion you can think of, prime minister, king, president, then go into the angelic world, archangel, seraphim, cherubim. You, you think of all these levels of authority, and, and the right hand of God is higher. Far above all, verse 21, 
principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, any name of authority, as we talked about, president, whatever, it's above it. Not only in this world, but in the world that which is to come, the end of verse 21. And so the highest position of exaltation God can ever give a person is He gave to His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, far above all. So it goes on to say in verse 22, And hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. And so Christ is the head of the church's body by resurrection and exaltation. So don't we teach church government and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over His church? We're teaching the gospel. Because how did He get there? Well, He got there by resurrection and exaltation. And He not only died, He rose again, and that's our gospel. And so we have an authority. We have a head. Christ is the head of the church. And all wisdom comes from the head. All authority comes from your head. You know, if your hand bends down to pick up a $5 bill, it sees where to get the idea. They can get it from its finger, got it from up here. <laughs> okay. So that every movement we make is to come from the authority of the head, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why the Corinthian epistle, when it presents the, the church there, it shows a direct linkage of the believers to the living Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and that He's the all in all. And that's a healthy assembly that gets a hold of that. And so we start to see that linkage to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, I was uh, some of my literature once got into a, a prison, and this prisoner who was saved wrote me some very nice letters, and we had good fellowship. The Lord had done a work in his heart. But one day he wrote me a letter, and rather than sign it, Brother So-and-So, he signed it, The Reverend So-and-So. And he went on to share the news that he took some course in prison, and he had, he had excelled in it, he has become a reverend now uh, to teach God's people. Well, we had rapport, so I wrote him back. I said, I'm glad you're studying the Word of God. I'm glad you want to teach. I'm glad. Yeah, I said, but according to the Word of God, men never get titles like that, okay, based on how much you know. We talked about that yesterday. We're all brethren, you know. Holy and reverend is his name, Psalm 111, verse 9. We don't take God's titles or shouldn't. Well, he wrote me back. It's the first time he ever challenged me. He said, brother, he said, appreciate what you said, but he said, I think you missed something. He says, I study the Word of God. There's always a man over God's people. There's a Moses. There's a Joshua. There's a David. So he always has a man. So why not in the church will he have some man that he has called to lead God's people? He said, I think you've missed that in all due respect. I wrote him back. I said, your principle is absolutely right. God still has a man over us. but it's the man Christ Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And He has a man over us, but it's the living Lord Jesus Christ. As 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He wrote me back. He said, we're, he said, we're going to have to agree to disagree, but he signed a brother so-and-so. So we, so we left it right there, okay? We left it right there. I just want to say we have a, the risen. We have a man over God's. We're not left without a leader. The risen, living Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the basis for church government. Now before we learn a little more on New Testament church government, let me show you an Old Testament model. Let, let me show you a model to help us grasp this with the children of Israel. These things were written for our learning in the Old Testament. Romans 15.4 So go back with me to the book of Judges chapter 1, please. Back into the Old Testament to Judges chapter 1. Right after Deuteronomy and, Judges, and Joshua. 
By this time, by the time we get to Judges chapter 1, the children of Israel are no longer in Egypt. They're no longer in the wilderness. They are in the promised land. Moses led them out of Egypt, God's chosen mediator, Joshua, the, the, uh, the one that would lead them into the promised land. But now they're in there as a nation. And something happens in Judges 1 and verse 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass. I just want to stop right there. Joshua has died. Moses has died, the leader who led them out of Egypt. Joshua is dead, the leader who led them into the promised land that we now call Israel. The question might be, who's going to replace Joshua as the head leader of God's people? Who will be the next Moses? Who will be the next Joshua? The answer is nobody. You see, they were connected with the foundation. They were used of God to lead the people out and to get the people in. But once they were in, may I show you their government now? I'm going to reread Judges 1.1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? They asked the Lord. There's a direct linkage now between the children of Israel and their living Lord. And through the tabernacle and the priesthood, they could discern God's will. And they asked the Lord, saying, as so all of a sudden God's people are, are directed to the Lord as their king, to Jehovah. And so they asked the Lord, and the Lord answers them. He makes a military decision for them, verse 2. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And so God's making an executive decision. Uh, I, I think the first tribe, I know the first tribe that should go up is Judah. And all of a sudden you see people functioning without a head man because they're now linked to the living God. And they go right to the Lord and say, Who shall go up for us? And that is the way it is in the book of Judges. There are times they sinned, and God would have to send a military savior called a judge. He would deliver them from the enemies they fell into. And when that judge died, nobody took his place. And then when they sinned again, God at his free will would raise up another one. But it wasn't a kingship like your son takes over. It was nothing like that. So if you were an investigative reporter back in the days of Israel, in the days of Judges, and you visited Israel, and you looked at it, you said, Why? I see all these farms prospering, and I see the enemies are subdued, and I see a, temp a tabernacle, and I see people join in the Lord. This is, this is quite a society you have. Uh, could you introduce me to your leader, please? At this stage in history, do you know what they would say? Can't do it. He's the Lord in heaven. Can't get there. The Lord. They inquired of the Lord. Oh, I see. He's your king. Yes, he's in heaven. Well, I do, I do see your farms prospering. Would you introduce me to your head treasury who causes all this to happen? Well, it's the same person. The Lord said when we obey, he'll prosper us, you know. The crops will grow. The Lord's our financial director. I see. Well, there are enemies all about you, you see. You certainly must have a general you could introduce me to to organize your military. Well, we don't have a military. <laughs> we don't have a general. The, the Lord said he'll fight for us. And he'll raise up whom he wants. It's the Lord again. And every question they would ask you, you would point to the living God. What if that takes you anywhere? How do you answer as a church of God if somebody says... Take me to your leader, to your head. I'll have to say I can. He's in heaven. Christ is the head of the church. He's on the right hand of God. In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2, 3. I can't show you Him. And somebody will say, well, I see all you men, you travel around, and there's money to the poor, and there's expenses. Uh, who's your financial director? Who's your head treasurer that decides how the church will... Well, 
my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus the church was told in Philippians 4.19 and so he meets the need yes he uses his body but he meets the need well, while I do see Christians all over the world certainly there's some growth marketing manager well, could you enter? No, I can't introduce you to him. It's Acts two forty seven. The Lord added to the daily, added to the church daily, such as should be saved. You know, He gives the increase. He opens the heart. He baptizes into the body of Christ. It's all of the Lord. And, and well, what power do you get for this infrastructure uh, to to reach people? Where's your power formula? Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. You see, I can't show you him. Ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Acts 8, 1, 8, and so on. And so we'd have similar answers. Moses was dead, and nobody replaced Moses and Joshua here after he died. They were directly linked to the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean it was always perfect. People failed in the book of Judges. But God never gave them another option. You, you go further to Judges chapter 20, if you would, to see a little more on this. Judges chapter 20. There was a problem now between Israelis. A civil war broke out. God's people could not get along. The tribe of Benjamin tolerated sin. The rest of the tribes rebuked Benjamin for it. And Benjamin's answer was to fight them. You look at verse 14. Judges 20 and verse 14. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the cities unto Gibeah to go out to battle against the children of Israel. It's not Israel against the enemy. It's brother against brother now. Well, the rest of the tribes that cared about this sin that wasn't judged, look what they did in verse 18. Judges 20 and verse 18. And the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. See that direct connection? They go to the house of God and they let God make the decision. Uh, who goes first? And God answers, Judah shall go first. Look what happens. Look what happens here in verse 20. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. The men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gibeah. And the children of Benjamin came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites that day, 20 and 2,000 men. Their numbers diminished. They lost. They went into God's presence in their direct connection to God, and they lost. What do you do? When there's failure, when you follow God's ways, and you don't have the numbers, your numbers are diminished, and there's problems. Can that happen? Well, I'll tell you what they did. Look at verse 23. And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until even, and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? And the Lord said, Go up against them. They wept till even maybe we misunderstood. And they go directly to the authority of their God. And he says, go. You know what happens? They lose again. 18,000 now uh, a perish. Well, what do you do when there's no results for following God? Well, they went again. Verse 26. You know, they say the third time's a charm. It was. Verse 26. Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came unto the house of God and wept and sat before the Lord, and fasted that day until even, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. 
They fasted, they wept, they didn't blame God, they examined their own hearts. And verse 27, And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant was there in those days. And God says, Go again. And they went and they defeated the problem and the enemy. So it took perseverance. And so that's how it worked then. God's people directly linked to the living Lord. But one day they got tired of failure. One day they got tired of, uh, of taking time and all this fasting and weeping and so on. So progress with me to 1 Samuel 8 in Israel's government. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel's sons were taking bribes as judges. That's not very good justice. Where the highest bidder decides what's right, not right and wrong. And so when the, the children of Israel saw that, they approached Samuel in 1 Samuel 8 and verse 5. 1 Samuel 8 and verse 5. 1 Samuel 8 verse 5, And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We're just tired of men being raised up and they fail. We, we want a king, and he'll have a son, and he'll have a son, and it'll always be the same line, and they'll have order, they'll have staff, they'll have a military. They want, the, they, they want an organized government. Where'd they get the idea? Well, not from God's Word. They said, like all the nations. They looked around and said, we want to be like every... We're tired of failure. We're tired of looking different. It seems to work out there. Give us an organized system, a king to judge us. Well, look at verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And the Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel... Hearken or listen unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. God says if that's what they want, if they want a man to do what I once did, give it to them. Samuel, don't take it personally. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Say, what do you mean they've rejected God? Well, they did not reject the existence of God. They didn't become atheists. They still believed in God. They didn't reject the sacrificial system of God. They still brought blood sacrifices. They were as fundamental as ever. What they rejected was the government of God, that, he, that I should not reign or rule over them. God's people can reject the government of God. I don't like the way it works. There's a better way out there. And that day, they did not reject God as a, a deity. They rejected God as an authority, His government, that He should reign over them. And God says, listen, you have a God who will not force His way onto you. He will not force His government on His people. Did you ever try to force yourself on somebody? Young God, did you ever try to force your love on somebody and go up there girl and say, you've got to love me. Just look at my muscles and my beauty. You've got to love me. doesn't work. You, know, you wish it would, but it doesn't. Okay? Uh, you can't force yourself into somebody's heart. And God will not force Himself into your heart. If you don't want His way, He'll let you choose another way. He'll even help you do it sometimes. And whatever the consequences are, He'll let you share those too. But look as the chapter closes here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. They say in verse 20, "...that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us, and shall go out before us and fight our battles." He's going to do it for us. We won't be like the others. And so God gave them what they wanted. You know the story eventually ended up in disaster, but uh, uh, they changed God's government. And so we see God's people in the Old Testament had a government of a direct linkage to God, but one day they wanted a man to do what God wants to do. They wanted a man over them. Has the church done that? 
the direct linkage to the Lord Jesus, and yet want a hierarchy of men over it. I'd like to close on God's church government by going back to the New Testament. We've seen how the, the authority of the Lord Jesus is connected to His resurrection. He's Lord. He's head of the church. From everything including marriage to uh, 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 our salvation, the way we function in the assembly, we, sh we did that survey in 1 Corinthians with you. The direct linkage of the church to the living Lord Jesus. Now, having said that, in closing, if you go to Acts chapter 14, where we're now speaking of the church again, Acts chapter 14. Now, here the subject of elders will come up. But you'll see elders in the Bible are not so much managers as they are shepherds. They're not so much decision makers as they are discerners. They're simply overseers, those older in the faith, who are able to point the sheep to the Lord Jesus. Not just say, well, we do this because we're this. Uh, they're not that type of authority. They're, they're older, mature men in the faith, and they're able to point the sheep in the right direction to discern the will of God. They're overseers. They look over to make sure everything's going right according to the Lord Jesus. They don't try to replace the Lord Jesus. Biblical overseers, all right? But I want you to see something here in Acts chapter 14 and verse uh, uh, 23. When Paul and others would take the gospel, they'd see people saved, they'd be formed into Christian assemblies. And then they'd go back and establish them, and look what they did in verse 23. Acts 14, verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. First of all, they ordained them elders in every church. Even when it comes to mature men into faith, that oversee God's flock as shepherds. That's even a plurality. You'll never read of an elder for a church, a pastor for a church. You will read of elders in every church. It's a tremendous check and balance system of power. You know, let me give you an example. I, I think if I look at the back room there, I'm being recorded right now. All right. He, he nods his head yes. Okay. So, so having that assumption is correct, let's say... Uh, 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 you wanted to do it different. Let's say they made a suggestion. If you want this recorded, you all have to bring your own uh, little MP3 players or digital recorders, and, uh, and you can record them if you'd like to. You say, well, that, that's certainly a, a, a cumbersome way. Uh, we've got to get all these batteries. You've got 5,500 little recorders around. You say, that's quite cumbersome. I like this master system. He'll just run the copies off for me. That is nice. But what if there's an enemy out there that wants to change what I said? All he has to do is get to the master system. Change that. Every copy of it will be wrong. Where if you have hundreds of little recorders here, uh, he can't get to them all, and the truth will be preserved. God never has put his uh, a government in the hands of one earthly man. It's a plurality of leaders in every assembly. It's a check and balance. It might be more cumbersome, but I'll tell you, it's a check and balance system to preserve truth, and it has worked by the grace of God. But he's not only ordained elders in every church. Look at verse 23 again as he began to leave him. They commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. They didn't link him to some diocese head, some earthly leader. They linked them to the living Lord whom they believed. That's the gospel. The one they believed on to save them can also be their authority in life. <laughs> so they commended these elders to the Lord on whom they believed. One more scripture on this. 
Go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, please. Here Paul is meeting with the elders, plural, from the church of Ephesus. You see that in verse 17. Acts 20 and verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. There's that plurality again. He called the elders of the church. You know what he tells them? Now Paul was an apostle. He brought them the revelation of the mysteries. God wasn't done talking. He would give Paul direct revelation from the third heaven, the Bible teaches. doesn't do that today, for it's complete now. But Paul brought him the gospel, he brought him the truth of the body of Christ, the church, and he was among them, so he was very valuable to him. But he breaks some disturbing news to the church at Ephesus via the elders. And look what he says here among them in verse 25. Acts 20 and verse 25. He says, And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. I'm never coming back. God had revealed to him that he was about to come to an end of his ministry. You'll see my face no more. Somebody brought you the gospel. They saw you established in the truth. And you'll never see him again. You know what the obvious question is? Who's going to replace you? Who replaced Joshua when he died? The Lord. Who, now that the foundation has been laid, and God used apostles to do that, who's the new apostle to come to Ephesus to be the kind of the head of that area? With that context, and you'll see my face no more, look what he says to these elders in verse 28. Verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, not managers, overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. The answer is you. You take heed to yourselves. You're overseers of the church of God. Nobody's replacing me. The Holy Ghost has raised you up. <laughs> And, and you're going to have problems, though. Verse 29. He prophesied, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. You know, there's going to be those in sheep's clothing that are going to devour the flock, teach false things. Not only outside they're coming in, they're already there. Verse 30. And of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. We're going to see you no more, and there's problems ahead, and it's among our own selves. We're going to get a following rather than feed the sheep. Who's going to be the manager of this thing? Look how he signs off here in verse 32. Verse 32. And now, brethren, that's the generic name for Christians. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you an inheritance among all them that are, which are sanctified. Left them with the living God. And the word of His grace is able to build you up. Church government, linking with the living God because He lives. So may God encourage you in another New Testament church practice where we don't have a human man over us as, a, as the body of Christ as a whole or as a local church. But we're directly connected to the living Lord. There's mature men called elders that oversee that. But we're commended to God and to the word of His grace. It's able. And so it, it, church, God, why are we commended to the Lord? Because He lives. God raised Him from the dead. He's on the right hand of God. It's an expression of the gospel. If somebody says, why are you following the Lord Jesus? You say, well, He lives. <laughs> he was resurrected. You're back to the gospel. Another New Testament practice that is a dynamic expression of the gospel. The subject of church government. May God help you and I in our daily lives and as a church not to look to self or man, 
but look to the living Lord Jesus Christ. We're under Him. We're in Him. He's alive. And we might not get the results instantly, but He's the authority. He's the wisdom one. He knows best. And may you be encouraged this morning as we close in prayer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, we do close in that name in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for two types of people, at least. Some here might not even be saved. They don't have a Savior. And He died for their sins. He rose again. And if they call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved, thy Scripture promises. And He can hear because He lives. He's Lord. He's the Son of God. And so we pray if any need to be saved, they'll by faith believe He died and rose again, according to the Scripture, and call upon Him in faith. He will save and forgive them because their sins have been paid for. And for those of us that are already saved, first of all, may we live in the reality that He is the living Lord. He is in every area of our life, even down to marriage. And we'll give Him that, acknowledge that authority and His wisdom in that. And in the assembly, not, not seek even in weak and failing times to put it in the hand of man, dynamic man, but look to the living Lord Himself, the one who has wisdom and authority. Acknowledge His position by resurrection and that He is able to guide and order and instruct His church. We just pray to encourage the assembly and the believers here in this truth of the resurrected Christ as Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.